This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, have you ever wondered what really happens Parliament Hill in all the meetings the smart politicians do? Dr. Sylvain Charlevoix, director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, tells us what happened when Ottawa and the CEOs of Canada's biggest food companies met to discuss Canada food prices. I caught a scam at the last minute this weekend. We called Hank the Hacker to help us understand how online fraudsters take your personal information and the tactics they use to do it, including your vehicle and the vehicle history and VIN number for your car. Plus, are you okay with twins? And how about money? I think all the parents of twins just shuddered a little bit at the notion of that one. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. All right, about a week ago, we were speaking in the news about completely different things. It's like this alternate universe of time gone by where we were talking about how grocery stores are the bad guys, says the government, and they're gonna they better clean up their act or else we're gonna do something about it. That's what the the, the government said. Because they were gonna protect uh, f- food prices in Canada. This was right after um the broken plane incident and the let's go to London, Ontario and announce some developments and put out a challenge for all other mayors to come up with proposals so they can dip into the fund, even though the fund closed two weeks before that. <laughs> and the, like, these are the things that all happened. And then the India story happened. So what we left open ended was the conversation about food. Uh, the food professor is here, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois with Dalhousie. He's uh, he's here with us now. And Sylvain, I really wanted to sort of close that loop because we were chatting about food, grocers, and the government saying like they're the bad guys. And we wanted to close that up because that didn't get closed with all this other news that's going on in international politics. So thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, no, it's always nice to end the day with Shane. Oh, that's nice. Hey, that's a nice guy. Um, okay, well, you, uh, you, you got, you got. I don't know if I could say that you got summoned, the food professor. So it's it's summoned. like the it's like the government has the bracelet. Like, what would the food professor do, right? Yeah. What would the food professor do right now? And then so they 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 call and they're like, hey man, what's happening? What's Fix happening? our problem. And and uh, and and then there was things that that happened. So I don't even know what you're allowed to talk about. But can you tell us what the outcome was from these conversations of the government saying that grocers need to fix this? Yeah, I can't say much about outcome, but I can certainly talk to you about uh, why and how the meeting happened and mm-hmm. the things that I actually said in the meeting. I'm allowed to say that. Uh, mm-hmm. I was asked to brief uh, the, G- the the big five. Uh, so the five major grocers of the country, Walmart, Costco, uh, Loblaw, Sobeys, and and Metro. So they were all in the room for the very first time ever. Like I don't Mm. remember seeing all five in the same room. Uh, It was pretty – like for me, it was really interesting to to watch. And the minister was there, of course. But it all started uh, with a phone call in July. I was at the cottage uh, in Saint-Sauveur, and uh, the phone rings, and – and it was uh, it was Minister Champagne, unannounced. Like he just mm-hmm. called me out of the blue. I think it was on a Friday morning or something. I can't remember exactly, but anyways, he called me and said, "Listen, uh, I follow your work. I really enjoy what you're doing, and uh, I want your advice on something." Hmm. Okay. I didn't give him your number, by the way. Don't blame me. 
<laughs> I, they got he got my number. I don't know how, but these, these people tend to know things. Um, do. He said, "Well, France is is about to freeze uh, the price uh, for five thousand food products." And he asked me, "Do you think that would be a good idea in Canada?" And then I paused and I said, <laughs> "No." I don't think it would be a good idea in Canada. Uh, the, our reality is very different. Uh, we're north of just one country. We're kind of isolated. We're prisoners of our own geography, really. I mean, compared really? to France, where there are several countries and it's the EU, same currency. It's it's just completely different. And there's there's more competition in France. The food economy is regionalized in Europe more so than here. Here, it's very homogeneous. You know, mm -hmm. in America too, and so no, I, I don't think I don't think it would work. And then, of course, we talked about possibilities, things we need to do, and and talked about the Confiscation Bureau, talked about the Code of Conduct to kind of stop the bullies like Loblaws and Walmart to suppress manufacturing. Anyway, we talked about a lot of things. He called me maybe, you know, every two weeks we he chatted. We chatted on the phone about stuff. And you can feel that he was really inspired by France. And I kind of said, listen, you got to be careful here. It's, it's just different here. And then two weeks ago on a Friday, I, I was walking to my car on campus. He calls me. That was before London when Prime Minister said, you better come up with a plan. Mm -hmm. But that was the Friday before. And I didn't know that. He was going to make an announcement on the Thursday, but he said, if you were me, if you were me, what would you do by next Thursday? <laughs> wow. You just said that. And so I said, um, if you absolutely, and I knew where this was coming from. It came from the PMO. Like I, I absolutely know that the pressure, because every time I talked to him, he, he was getting educated and he actually understood what I was saying. But this sense of urgency on the phone, I knew the PMO. I, was, I wasn't talking to Mr. Champagne. I was talking to the PMO. Right. And I said, if you absolutely need to do something, call a meeting. And that's yep. what happened. Okay. Now you say Costco and Walmart was in that meeting? Yes. So, so I said to him, call a meeting. Uh, I certainly would recommend that you uh, bring manufacturers as well and independent grocers. Uh, he opted not to do that, but the, they, he did meet with them later this in the week after Monday. So that's fine. So uh, he asked me, if I do a meeting, if I call a meeting, would you come as, a, as my advisor? I said, yes, absolutely. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter who's in power. My job is to support the government uh, in power. That's what mm -hmm. I do. Uh, if, yep. the, if conservatives are in power, they call me, I go. I go. You're, it doesn't matter to me. So... I'm on Sunday night. I get a phone call from uh, from the um, cabinet chief, and he said, "Well, tomorrow's going to be a gong show, so we're going to escort you in the building, and so someone will get you at the, at your hotel." So I get picked up at nine, go through the back door, I brief his team for about an hour uh, or so. Uh, he had about 15 people with him, so I kind of talked to him about. Know what I'm going to say, prep him uh, in terms of what I'm going to say, and and prep him in terms of what I'm expecting as well, things that we need to think about, and then we 
left and then we went to the boardroom. As we were doing that, COs were coming into the building with the cameras and all that stuff, which I wasn't seeing. But they actually came in. Now, I walk in with Mr. Sh- Minister Champagne and Deputy Prime Minister uh, Krista Freeland, who actually came for a few minutes to say a few words. I, I, I have to tell you, Shane, it was the most awkward moment. <laughs> Nobody was talking to each other. Hmm. No, well, it, there are five com- competitors there right. to talk about pricing. Yeah, they don't want to reveal anything. They don't want to say anything. So like they, can't they didn't know you. what to expect. In fact, I think what they were expecting was some finger pointing at them. You're gouging people, bastards, blah, blah, blah. So I went around the room with uh, with uh, Minister Friedland, Minister Champagne, sat down. Minister Friedland leaves, Champagne takes over, and then I and then I present. I do my briefing to the gross. And the first thing I say, I fail to see any evidence of profiteering. I'm sorry. The ministers there, the big five, big fives are all there. They're they hear from me, an independent, unpaid observer. I'm telling everyone, listen, this greedflation thing needs to stop. This is not the problem. But 82% of Canadians think that you are gouging. That's a problem. And so I actually kind of made a list of things that we need to address. And then we spoke for about two hours. And that's the part I can't say much about. And uh, frankly, I thought it was, I thought the meeting went as good as I thought it would, really. Well, that's Uh, interesting. Well, it's good news. Okay, so I, I'm impressed that Costco and Walmart were there because in the original list that came out from the Prime Minister's office, they weren't. It was I recommended Empire, that they come. Yeah. Yeah. Loblaws, uh, Empire. Well actually Metro. So when I right? met the minister that morning, I sat down and I said, Okay, um, so how many how many cancel this morning? Like they're not gonna they're not, they're not all gonna show up. Right. Come on. They did show up, all yeah. of them. Yeah, well, nothing to hide, I suppose, right? But they had to play along, and and frankly, everyone knew it was. I mean, the, we were all in the same room because of politics. It had nothing to do with economics at all. It's because polls are down. He wanted a, a a photo op. He wanted the headlines. He wanted the big bang. He got the big bang, and uh, he was happy. He was happy that uh, I mean, it was the uh, the the big news that night, and that's what he wanted. Really. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm assuming that over the course of time, whatever results are, results will be, and and off we go uh, with that one. But I do have a question about this, Silve. Yep. I'm going to pretend to be smart here for a second. So uh, just (laughs) humor me, okay? Um, Wholesale. Yeah. I don't mean Costco pretending to be wholesale. I mean like legitimate wholesale. Well, Costco's a wholesaler. Well, they, yeah, but I mean, they retail pretend to be a wholesaler. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, the, um, but they like, so all of these same companies are doing food distribution and wholesale in the background, right? Like if you're an independent grocer, you're not really an independent grocer because depending on where you are in the country, you're probably a slave to Sobeys or Loblaws or wherever the warehouse, your food's coming from, right? There's usually a partnership there. Even if you're an independent franchise, non-franchise grocery store owner, you're buying from these same groups wholesale does wholesale get included in this because what we hear 
we hear on the shift from our nighttime workers, the folks that are working in these places and the truckers that are driving it, the, the guys and gals that are moving the groceries and stuff like that. And they often will say, the problem's not the grocery. The problem is, is that the same people who run the grocery run the warehouses. And that's where everything is sort of hidden in the background. Is that legit? Well, I mean, the grocers are distributors, really, and uh, so there, it's a there, there are, are vertically integrated companies, and so with time, they understood that if you have, if you want to control the supply chain, you have to control a few nods of the supply chain, and so many, many years ago, um, I think it started probably in the '60s uh, when vertical integration occurred in the food business. And that's when you start to see private labels because private labels are really a step up even more. It's it's about dealing with contract manufacturing. So if you want President's Choice peanut butter, you go to a peanut butter manufacturer, probably Kraft Heinz, and they'll actually make butter for you with your own brand. So that's yeah. even more vertical integration. So, But when you look at... They, I, I'd say there's, there's about, what, 25,000 different food retail stores. They're, there's probably truly about 5,000 independent food retailers in Canada with no distribution, no wholesale, nothing. They just actually deal with uh, what we call UGI, United Grocer um, Incorporated. That's a buyer's group representing actual independence. So, so Instead of going to Procter Gamble on your own and you have like one store, you say, oh, can you please give me a good deal on my whatever, what brand? They have UGI representing all of the independents and they buy for about $40 billion worth of food on behalf of the independents. But Loblaws is out of that. Uh, Costco is out of that. Um, Walmart is out of that. Uh, Sobeys is out of that, but Metro is in because it's too small. So that's how, that's how food distribution works in Canada. So you got the big four and Metro and Metro is part of UGI. Uh, Dollarama is part of UGI. Uh, is part of UGI and all the other independents are part of the UGI as well. So they okay, so, so there there's nobody really alone in Canada unless right. you're really like uh uh you're big on uh, local artisanship uh homemade stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's the same with clothing too. Like if you want to buy sell t-shirts, you go to a, a a distributor and they carry 10 brands of t-shirts, right? Yeah. I mean, it's no different I I suppose. So I guess the answer is both yes and no that you know they have their hands in all of the pots anyway yeah so you know i mean really it could be a, a an upstream downstream kind of scenario in all of this though there are so many factors there are factors like the price of diesel fuel and moving things yeah. um trucking costs and all those bits and pieces does that get discussed in in these kinds of things where they're saying well we can do this You know, and I don't want to throw out the carbon pricing argument and blame everything on carbon pricing, but the reality is the cost of diesel fuel is high. It's higher than it's ever been, really, in most places. Yeah. With a brief dip earlier in the year, it's it's a very big factor in this, with increases on the horizon as well. I mean, that must get at least 
some of the deflection from the companies, stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Well, so I, I had to, as you can imagine, in that meeting, I had to I had to throw a bone to the minister. And I also had to throw a bone to the big five as well. So so I went with some issues that I see, uh, you know, volume discounting, the shrinkflation issue. Um, but I also uh, did address issues related to policy, like the snack tax, for example. You know, some products shrink so much, they become snacks and taxable. That money doesn't go to grocers, it goes to the government. And I did raise the issue of, uh, uh, of, of carbon pricing, but again, the evidence is pretty weak uh, retail-wise. So wholesale... Up the food chain, I have to tell you, Shane, I mean, we're getting some evidence and the carbon tax appears to have way more of an impact wholesale uh, with industrial pricing than retail. Because retail, the problem with retail is that you and I influence prices, right? If you buy something, you'll increase demand. So prices will go up. If you don't buy something, well, prices go down. That's the weather affects the price of, of products and things like that. So it's, it's really tough to really set a correlation or a coefficient, which is why I'm after the bank of Canada these days. Cause they, they, these guys dared to say two weeks ago that the coefficient of the carbon tax on food prices is 0.15. Right. Okay. Where did you get your numbers? What did you get your data? Cause the governor actually didn't say anything. So I'm waiting for some news, but they did say the governor did say, it's 0.15, but it doesn't account the compounding effect of carbon pricing across the supply chain. Right. Well, is that that is the that is the well, that's, issue? That's isn't the end it? result, right? Yeah. That's the end result is that you get taxed or pay extra here, 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 and here. Yeah. Um, it would be like trying to fly in an airplane and stop at every airport in between and get your 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 airport taxes at every airport. I mean, that's really what's happening. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, I mean, you have to understand Sylvan's world. Like there's like an army of PhD candidates that get all excited about parsing that data and finding the <laughs> coefficient. Like they, so, uh, so they, that's what they do. Um, but that being said though, when we look at the price of groceries, we look at all these bits and pieces, the government on these, uh, the snack tax, the GST items, uh, just to be clear and correct me if I'm wrong, I think I understand that one. Grocery items are not GST taxable for the most part, but once they get to a certain size and they're a snack, then they do. Yeah. Um, and it's and kind so, of hidden because it's not clear when you actually pick up your receipt. You have to no, kind of No, sometimes there's like a little letter itemized. on it or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And so, but the thing is, is that why would the government really, I mean, this might be the economics part of your brain that I'm asking, not less the food part. But why would the government want to lower the prices? It's a great way to, I don't know, fund your deficits when the cost of everything has gone up by 10% and you're taking 5% on 10%. You've now compounded your revenue as a government. So there's an element of, hey, we don't need to, you know what, actually, as I say this, what just rang in my head was budgets balance themselves. Yeah, they do when you raise <laughs> prices on everything and charge taxes on it. Maybe he yeah, was right all along. The Thursday before... Prime Minister Trudeau decided to eliminate the GST on new builds, shelter. Why not food? Come on. Mm -hmm. So there well, are tons of taxes impacting the price of food. Why don't we look at that? Why don't we have a serious conversation about fiscal policies impacting food affordability in Canada? Can we? And the, and the quick fix 
And I told Mr. Champagne, a quick fix is a snack tax. You're going to be loved. People will love you. People are going to say, wow, you're doing something. The GST on new builds, people are going to say, oh, it's great, but it, how well, does it that help Well, benefits people me? who can afford to buy a house. Well, how does it help? Like if you do have a house or if you're not looking at buying right now, it's not going to affect you. But a snack tax affects most people. Yeah. Most well, and people. I don't think it's, I don't think a new build tax affects anybody except for the guy who buys the place because if the market demands a thousand dollars for that place, they're still going to charge it. Th they're not going to be like, oh, by the way, you can have it for eight hundred because I didn't pay GST on the light fixture when they built it. <laughs> exactly. So, like, that's not going to carry forward. That is the stupidest idea ever. I know. Sorry, no offense if you like it, <laughs> um, but that's so anyway. But food. that's the, that's the, that's the, <laughs> I, I do think that uh, sometimes food is discriminated against. And what, 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 is, what is really a little dishonest, and you know this, Shane, is that uh, constantly both the NDP and the Liberals have actually just pivoted and blamed industry constantly about high prices without looking at themselves in the mirror, wondering how can they actually make things lighter for industry. And mm -hmm. and that's really uh, that's really unfortunate because they actually did it with shelter, but they didn't want to do it with uh, with food. Well, yeah, and, and, and by the way, your land transfer tax in many of the provinces is going to gobble up even more. So exactly, like, if you want to if you want to talk about impacting shelter, get the provinces to take away land transfer taxes. Exactly. That, I mean, right? I mean, in Alberta, I don't have that, but you know, in Ontario and BC and other places, there's very heavy taxes for those things. So, yep. so much to uh, to dig into here. And um, this was only the first half of the afternoon on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't even get to the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, so lots of it was. It was a very. I mean, Ottawa was kind of giddy on Monday because it was everyone was back and uh, and uh, yeah, it was. And actually, I can disclose it because it's actually on their website. So I went from spending the morning and lunch with uh, Mr. Champagne and his team, and then I was invited to meet with the Conservative Caucus in the West Block. So I went, I just marched over, I walked over and I uh, was greeted and it was actually a very nice, uh, a, a nice talk with, uh, with the group, uh, the act critic. I just briefly saw, uh, uh, of course it was, it was the first day back. So he wasn't, he didn't have time to sit down and chat. But, uh, so I met with, a, a few MPs, uh, in the conservative caucus and it was really interesting because they wanted more information about the carbon tax and i did say to to them i saw their ads and i saw their commercials and i mean so i i think the carbon tax is really a factor but at the same time uh there is no evidence at all that the carbon tax is impacting retail prices so you just have to be careful with that a little bit mm -hmm. yeah. well we'll see what comes of it i know that um uh Everybody has to go to work, right? It's the cool thing about this, at, like right now as Canadians, is that every party needs to go to work. And whether or not yeah. they're going to show up or not, time will tell. But every party needs to go to work. And we will see very quickly who is taking this seriously. You know what's really funny on, through, on Monday? Because I didn't see the qu question period. Uh, I, I couldn't watch it. So I, I sit down with the Conservative Caucus. And the first question I said, how was question period? It was like uh, we were meeting at uh, 3.30, just half an hour after question period. And you know what yeah. they said? Eh, it was fine. 
Really? Yes. That's it. Yeah. Wow. I, 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 were they, were they sleeping? You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, that news and everything on Monday was, um, you know, I mean, everything that's transpired this week is sort of, I think, almost taken people by surprise. And then uh, the India stuff, the food stuff, everything. And then all of a sudden it's been like, oh, by the way, um, yeah, that was probably a really big deal because the whole rest of the world started to react. Let me let me throw well, this at you. It is a big so, deal, man. absolutely. It is a big deal, and frankly, like I said, we have three employees from India. Uh, my yeah. own son actually lives with uh, with two Indians, and uh, I mean, if if India wants to hurt Canada, well, that was just, question, it'll just yeah. get all the students back to India. I mean, that's, that's two hundred and some thousand. Yeah. It's the number they said. I heard in the news report last night. It was it's the number one country with students in Canada right now. Which actually, you know, I, I don't want to say that it's okay, but I mean, they they're complaining that having too many students is hard on the cost of housing, and you know, so that's that's they're 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 <laughs> an, they're amazing students. Impact. Like the grad students I have from India are amazing. So, um, so I, I, anyways, I, I felt, I felt bad that, that, that our own prime minister would, would publicly kind of shame, uh, India's government like that, uh, without providing any evidence, but that it is, we, 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 we voted for that. Right. Well, and that's, that's, we're supposed to trust the leader and, uh, <laughs> and those are the things that are supposed to be there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, big news. So India, and if this goes sideways, does India import a lot of Canadian food? Yeah. About, uh, so in terms of, uh, so our, our exports are about 12 billion, uh, mm -hmm. to India about uh, a third it's, we're not, uh, so in terms of agri-food, uh, India is number eight on the list. Okay. Yeah. It's on, it's number, we were, the, the thing about India, what's most important is the region, not India. It's the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, before we went on air, uh, you were mentioning about your friend from South Korea, coming back from South Korea. South Korea is a big deal. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's part of our the, – the, the, the Indo-Pacific strategy for the government uh, became much more important after uh, the Huawei incident with China. I mean, as you know, yeah. our – there's lots of tensions between Canada and China, and we intended to sign a trade deal with China, not anymore because of what happened with the two Michaels and everything else. So we pivoted towards the Indian Pacific region, uh, mm -hmm. and that's what we actually just opened up an office a few months ago there just to basically build relationships there. And now this. So that's basically yeah. 2.8 billion people on earth who are pissed at, China, at canada it's great yeah yeah so uh, we'll see where it goes yep. um um it's been a, such a distraction we also don't want to get away from the important other things that are going on and that's why with so the huawei incident it took three months for china to uh start implementing section sanctions against canada yeah. how long it's going to take with india i don't know well, they've already been pulling people out yep. and stopped the visas and done all the other things. So it seems to be happening very, very quickly. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that's that, I suppose. Thank you so much for uh, for pleasure. being here. And I feel like we could do this. Like, there's so much to bite off here. Um, well, next we time it'll be in the country, so. Right. <laughs> ay, 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 my goodness. Uh, Sylvain Charlebois, thank you. Take care.
This is the Shift Podcast. System breach. What just happened? Someone hacked me. Uh, you're going to have to bear with me for just a couple of seconds here, Hank the Hacker. Um, we have some new protocol on our logins, and um, it takes me eight minutes now to enter my password. Uh-oh. So long. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, putting uh, It really is a good thing for businesses to put passwords mm-hmm. on and minimum restrictions on pat. Wildly inconvenient. Seriously. I mean, it's like writing an essay, but um, it, it's a good thing, and it really does make a big difference on how people can get in. That's what Hank does. He's a, a security uh, consultant, essentially. What he is, like a locksmith that goes in and tries to break into businesses to see how your security is working. When businesses add things like longer passwords and restrictions and minimums and when you change them, that's only good, yeah? Absolutely. You know, I was going to say, back to that convenience versus security thing, uh, you know, if you have two-factor authentication enabled, then very inconvenient in most cases, especially mm-hmm. right before an interview, but um, very secure at the same time. Well, it's a smart way. It's the right way to do it. I, I yeah. As much as I, I'm complaining, I am joking because it is the right <laughs> way to do it. I mean, for the amount of times we've talked about people breaking in uh, to all these businesses everywhere, it would be hypocritical of me to not uh, appreciate the fact that we are getting protected a little better too, which is awesome. Okay, uh, we are, I'm lucky. I think that we belong to a, an organization that's very active in this world. Many are not. And it does make me wonder about some businesses out there. The government, we've seen things like Canada Revenue and all kinds of bits and pieces have vulnerabilities get exposed. There's the one that was down in Vegas that we chatted about last week. So many different groups, right? And so many different groups are doing business online inside apps with information and logins. It seems like it's only inevitable before we get a big one. I mean, we've had some big ones, but I'm talking about like a big one where somebody breaks in and steals information that's not theirs. Ukraine has threatened that Canada and others need to be more diligent against cyber attacks. Now, that seems strange coming from Ukraine um, not because they wouldn't know any better, but I don't know, shouldn't we be already prepared for this stuff? Yeah, it, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm the first place I'm going to start at is the human element in phishing. I'm, I'm actually in, in one of my engagements with a client right now, I'm doing a phishing simulation where we'll actually f- like send a phishing email to the employees and, and see if, if they click on it. And you kind of record the click rate and how many people submit data and whatnot. But it it's alarming how often these things are successful. I, I saw a statistic earlier today, and it's something like over, I think it's over 77% of cyber attacks are a result of, of phishing. And um, so, you know, and to speak on what you said about it's only a matter of time before um, and we see another Equifax or another uh, big hack. You're right. It, it it's constant cat and mouse, and the and an, another reason why it's important for companies to continuously have these pen test engagements. Like you might see a company run one penetration engagement, uh, which is like 
that's where they'll have ethical hackers like me go in and try and hack the company and then you kind of teach them how to fix it but they'll they'll run one of these and they kind of think okay we're good we've we've done it we're fixed but uh, then you get a year down a year down the line where some vulnerabilities might have come out or been developed for um, service versions or or what have you that that the company is running and then it gets hacked. Uh, so it is only a matter of time as long as people are kind of neglecting cybersecurity. And I, I think that's why CSE said today um, it's really important for companies to kind of uh, be more aware during um, Zelensky's visit to Canada because it might instigate, um, you know, denial of service attacks from Russia or different kind of cyber attacks from Russia. So business is one thing. Government affects all of us. Business affects mm -hmm. some of us. According to this global article at globalnews.ca, it says, quote, websites for Yukon, Manitoba, and PEI and Nunavut were all shut down September 14th. PEI and Yukon said cyber attacks were behind their outages. Quebec government also noted a cyber attack this month um, attributed to the pro-Russian group, pro group No Name. The CSC said in June that the federal government faced hourly cyber attacks by hostile foreign actors. Now, probably worth noting, good job because it seems like they're getting hammered left and right and must be doing something right. But at the same time, are we seeing more activity than ever before? We've obviously seen some geopolitical changes of late and, of course, in the last week or so as well, which will lead to my next question first. So about the Russia and all those things there, I mean, are we seeing more and more activity? Absolutely. Absolutely, we are. And, you know, in the case with... Uh the government websites going down that's a denial of service attack where they're trying to hit a piece of uh, critical infrastructure or a website that people might um, rely on for different services in order to disrupt that and uh, you know it's kind of scary because the target right now is critical infrastructure and that's why it's important if if you work around critical infrastructure, or you if you work in um, education or or healthcare or something like that, to be a little bit more vigilant when you're looking through your email inbox or um, you know in enabling things like two factor authentication because you literally are a target in the industry that you work for if it involves critical infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Well, denial of service attack, simply put, essentially swarming it with traffic and hammering it so it breaks. It'd be like if uh, we hear these stories about hundreds of people going into a, uh, a store and clogging it up. They can't do business anymore, right? Traffic on the That's highway. That's favorite example. <laughs> right? Protests where people go in the street and they block the streets. That's essentially of what it's happening is people have swarmed the system, the information flow, and caused it to break down. Yeah. You know that they're not really uh, getting in. A funny comment on this: there was actually an artist. I think it was in France or Germany. I I I can't remember which country he was in, but he filled a wagon full of phones, and he went and walked down this bridge with this wagon full of phones. And if you went and looked at Google Maps at that time, it said there was a massive roadblock on this bridge. Right. 
<laughs> and meanwhile, it's just this one guy walking down the bridge with a, a wagon full of phones. So it's a really good example. And, and the same thing with, um, you know, kind of people flooding a store so that no legitimate traffic can get in there. Really good example of what a denial of service attack is, just sending so many requests to a website that if any of us go to look at it, it doesn't want to load because it's busy loading for the fake requests that were sent previously. So it is like um, they're not really getting in. They're just, yeah. it's hooliganism, really, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, now we've heard an awful lot about Russia. We've heard an awful lot of, um, out of this area of the world, and I don't know about India specifically. Now, Canada is in a political quagmire with India. And are we seeing, or are we going to see, or what is um, that influence like digitally for hacks and stuff? We've never spoken about India in particular, when it comes to, you know, hacks, we spoke about Russia and North Korea and all these different actors that, that are out there doing bad things always. But when it comes to India, we do hear an awful lot of subcontract that goes out there. You can get logos done for 30 bucks. Like there's all kinds of things that you can get done digitally through India. Is hacking something we should be aware of with what's going on right now in Canada? Oh, yeah. And, you know, while the focus in the media right now is kind of around Russia, there's there's a constant influx of attacks from different countries, India, and I'm, I'm going to name Iran as being uh, one of the other main ones. Um, and, and especially at, you know, I went to go do a security walkthrough at the Calgary airport once, actually. And they told me that one of the biggest things they see is denial of service attacks. Again, the, de the denial of service attack from Iran. And these things might calm down during certain times of the year or um, during certain events. But if something happens, if there's a global event that happens or there's some kind of uh, news or whatever, um, these events can pick up. And so that's why right now you're seeing a lot of events from Russia. And uh, there's so many things that, that you don't hear about, that you don't see in, in the media. And I think that's going to change a little bit moving forward with um, companies being required to actually disclose if they've been a victim of any kind of cyber attack now. Um, so any like publicly traded companies actually have to disclose it. Um, so it's not just limited to finance and energy and uh, transportation and stuff like this. It's actually kind of expanding into publicly traded sectors. And I think it should be um, in the private sector as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is where we're going to cross over from fraud, from hacking into fraud. Now, I'm going to try to describe a scenario that is very, very simple, but it can sound incredibly complicated. And this is some stuff that's going on. And I had a couple of experiences this weekend that, to me, seemed problematic. So this happened with me and Mel when we sold a car in Ottawa. And that's where we flagged it for the first time. And then it happened to me here. And I posted a car up for sale. I got a message saying, hey, I'm interested in your car. Is the price negotiable? Normal things that people send on Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji or whatever. Then the next thing is, and this is where that whole privacy thing that you've talked about before, Hank, about managing your privacy matters. So then this person said, 
would you take $500 less? And I said, I can have a conversation about that. That's fine. He says, well, um, then he, okay, great. Can I come see it today? Nope, but you can come see it tomorrow. Okay, great. Set a time. Five o'clock. Got it. Then a message comes in about 10 minutes later. says, my dad asked me if you have a vehicle history report. Can you get one? I replied back. I said, absolutely, I can. I'll get you Carfax when I know you're serious. He says, well, my dad trusts this one. Can you go here? And posts a link. The link in the URL string was normal. It'd be like hankscarreports.com or something like that. And you go to that website. It looks like a legitimate website. They claim that they can get you vehicle history reports in uh, Canada, United States, and Mexico. And then he had a bunch of arguments. Well, we want to know if there's a history in Canada, which Carfax will tell, or in the States, which Carfax will tell you if it's been registered in the States. Um, and they tell you all these things to get you kind of swirling, like they're really serious and they want to buy your car. Desperate for money, most people would take that. So you go there and it's 35 bucks. And the guy's like, well, it's no big deal. It's 35 bucks. Just give me the report and, and then I'll come see the car. So I said to him a flat out, I said, look, I know your scam, like screw off. Now here's the catch. He's prompting me to go to another website to spend money. One of three things I figure is going on. The first thing is, it's just a legitimate website, and he's from another country, been hired, and gets commissions, and makes money off how many people come in traffic to that website. And so maybe he makes five bucks or the 30 bucks. Maybe he makes 20 bucks or the 35 bucks. Whatever. It could be legitimate. I could get a car report back, and he makes his money, but then they ghost you, and then they leave, and they never do buy your car. So they've forced you to spend $35 on someone else's website and then they disappear. So is it fraud? Is it not fraud? We're going to have to speak to proper legal people to get advice on that. Alternatively, you go to this website and the website steals your credit card information. And then now they've got your information from Facebook, whatever you've got posted there. Plus they have your vehicle and they have your VIN number and they have um, your credit card. Thirdly, and then they disappear. They don't buy your car, clearly. Thirdly, and this is the scariest of them all. It's a little combination of all of them. They give you a clear vehicle history report because you can subscribe to databases that will take your VIN number and give you all the info about your car. There's all kinds of websites out there that do that. They don't get your personal info. You just put in your VIN number of your car. It'll tell you the trim of your car, where it was built, when it was built. Yeah. So they give you a proper series of data about your car. They give you a fake vehicle history report that looks clear, no crashes, and you're like, oh, that time I hit the post doesn't show up on my crash, quick. And then now they've also taken your $35 or stolen your credit card, and you're giving this vehicle report to somebody else, and it's fr it's fraudulent, it's fake, it's not the real vehicle report, but you give it because it doesn't have the time you hit that post. And so now you've actually committed fraud. And they've put you in a pickle and they've stolen your money and maybe they've stolen your credit card. Now, I hope that's clear, but they do it under the disguise of, I want to buy your car, buy me a vehicle history report. And when I confronted him, he said, who told you this? Who told you that I, that this is illegal? Who told you that this is fraud? And they get rather belligerent yeah. and that would just buy it. I said, no, I said, tell you what, you show up at this location at five o'clock on Sunday and I will and I will buy your vehicle report. Have a nice day. They disappear. 
Here's the catch. So let's talk about that first, and then I'll tell you what the catch is after that. So uh, that that is, it's not really hacking, but it's the social engineering part, and it's very very scary, Hank, because it happens so quickly, and everything about it on the front face is quite legitimate. Oh boy, are you right about it being scary? And I I have a fourth uh, kind of thing. Oh, or don't do that. We don't need. That. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean. Um, there's a lot of hacking gadgets being sold. And I think we spoke about this a short while ago that are aimed at car theft. So they could even be after just that VIN number from a clean registered vehicle in Canada so that they can clone it, which is a big problem that we're having right now. So while it might feel like, oh, it's just my VIN number for my car, it's on the front of the car, anyone can see it. It's actually something you don't want to hand out online. So if someone ever asks uh, any of our listeners, if anyone ever asks you to give them your VIN or provide a, a Carfax report, it's actually worth holding off on that, like Shane said, until you can make sure that they're a serious buyer because that VIN number is valuable in itself. Um, it is and, also in, in Ottawa, they had a big thing this winter where they got a bunch of snow and people would come in and they would come home or they'd come to their car that's parked in the driveway and the snow would be wiped off one segment yeah, of the window only. Yeah. And that's where the VIN is publicly visible. And yeah. people, they suspect, were going in and wiping off the snow, taking a picture of the VIN and then walking away because you can see the VIN on most any car from the outside of the vehicle, just to be clear. So they can do it all kinds of ways. It's that valuable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're right. It could be they could be after a sales share from uh, kind of giving you a referral to this Carfax report. Um, but the the scary thing is here, uh, they could even be um, cloning a website like they could clone the Carfax website and yeah. clone the payment panel. So when you submit that information, you're actually submitting it to a hacker on the other end. And that's why it's important to make sure, um, you know, for in Carfax's sake that you're at carfax.ca and mm -hmm. not like, you know, carfax.ca. Which is legitimate. Just to be yeah. Clear, yeah. Yeah, carfax um, or whatever, right? <laughs> so just verifying that, you know, uh, domains are legitimate. And just because a domain is sent to you in an email and it looks like google.com, um, they can actually spoof that as well. So it's it's important when you're actually opening these links, if you do open them, be careful uh, that you're verifying it's the legitimate website that you expected. And and if you do run a, a, a Carfax, I always suggest just using a prepaid virtual card. They're 49 bucks Canadian, uh, a Carfax, I think it is, and you can get a $50 prepaid. So it's yeah. it lines up perfect. Yeah, and so and you can. Uh, there's all kinds of different ways that you can do that. Just so you know, um, which is good that can protect you. Um, so here's and sometimes you can pay with PayPal, and that also can be decent too because then you, if it's legitimately PayPal, because then it protects your info that way. Yeah. So here, here's the thing. After that, though, so I went and looked at this this guy's profile. There's nothing basically on the profile, right? I said, where do you live? He said, Consort, Alberta. And so I. Um, about 10 minutes later, though, I had a small little item that said, um, so I, I blocked this person, reported this person, did all those things. But they, they, he can just keep his screen open and open up a different browser and log in under a different name and go in and find me again, right? 10 minutes later, yeah, I had another he message. He did. 
probably did because here's why. And I realize I'm putting a lot of meaning behind this that I don't know is true, but here's my experience. 10 minutes later, I get another message from another strange account asking me if they can buy this electronics piece I have. It's like 10 bucks, no big deal. Do you ever come to Calgary? I said, well, I'll be going to Market Mall, one of our local malls. I said, I'm happy to meet you there. And the, uh, the, uh, there was, yeah, okay, I'll be there. I'll leave there at this time. I can meet you at this time. And so what I did was, is I, I said, I'll meet you on the north side of the mall, but I didn't send my location to where I was. I sent a picture of a post that was adjacent to where I was and then said, I'll meet you here. Are you coming? Yeah, I'm on my way. Are you coming? And then the person no shows, right? Yeah. So I was suspect that they were waiting to see if I would send their, my location where I was. And then they could either follow me home or, or see if I was driving that particular car. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. Right. So there's all kinds of things that are going on. This person no showed. I was not driving the same car. Uh, I did not give them my location. And so there's no way they could have gone, but they could have tried to, to get at me from different angles afterwards. So not only do we have to watch for the scammers, Hank, but we've got to watch for follow-up activity where they can see. I hate to break it to everybody who's with us right now, all the shift heads, but my life is kind of public. You know, I'm easy to find if you want to find me. And so when I do stuff online, I mean, I've, we've all got to be incredibly careful. Oh, I know, I know that feeling. I'm like, I was talking to a friend the other day and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm completely online. I live on the internet and by virtue of kind of growing up and learning some lessons the hard way, you know, I'm pretty well everywhere online, but, uh, the, your story reminds me of something that it's not totally related, but I, I got my, I, I have this electric bike that I, I ride around and it go, it can bring you like across the city and back. It's great. But I, I got home the other day, this was a couple weeks and it, I, it, there was this weird sound I could hear in my living room. It was like a weird beeping sound that I had never heard before. And I thought it, I, I disregarded it thinking it must be some electronic, whatever, uh, and I, I completely stopped thinking about it. And I had heard it a couple more times after that day. Um, but another day came, my friend messaged me, and they thought that they had a tracking tag near them. So I walked them through. There's actually an app released by Apple that you can download it, and it'll scan your surroundings, and it'll tell you if there's a tracking tag nearby. Mm-hmm. And so I went to set up this app and demonstrate it to my friend. And there was a tracking tag planted inside of my bike. I, I don't know who, I probably shouldn't even say it, but yeah, there would, you know, wow. so it might even be worth opening that tracking app and giving yep, it a scan. Yeah, finding what it is. Um, and there's not, just to be clear, there's not a lot of uh, access to call Apple or Samsung or whatever and say, no. I yeah. found this. You can do it if it's lost. You can do it if it's missing all that stuff, but you can't really do it and say, I found this. It's not supposed to be there. This person that's tracking me is breaking the law. There's no yeah. recourse for them for that. Yeah, they don't give I you info for that. Walls. Yeah. Now, if we haven't terrified you enough, <laughs> catch us next week at the same time um we will be talking about some um public support things because i've been through that and we will be talking talking more about those tags because i've learned an awful lot 
about Samsung tags, smart tags, air tags, and more. And we've got more to learn with all of that. If you have any questions about things that you are worried about, shiftheads.ca, the Facebook group, is connected to that. And you can go and ask those questions. Hank will be available for you as we will hear and we will add it to the list of all the things that we talk about with Hank the Hacker. Thanks for being here, bro. Oh, goody. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for listening. This is the Shift Podcast. Can I share with you one of the coolest things about this show? The coolest thing about this show is you. I mean that. You all hang on to the strangest of things that we talk about. We think we've got these big conversations on holy groceries. You know what most people have been talking about in the background? And this is emails to us and Facebook and text messages and everything else. Krispy Kreme donuts. And I love that. I love that that you when you there's something strikes you and you bring us more info. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I really truly mean it. We chatted about crispy crispy cream donuts as part of Are You Okay with last week and shared some stories about how great they were and where the locations are. And we received dozens of messages about this location and that location and this one's open and that one opens at this time. We received messages tonight about kids were in front of um, Superstar selling Krispy Kreme donuts for $15 a dozen for the Langley Dance Academy. That people saw uh, more kids selling Krispy Kreme donuts, probably the same store, but they didn't have the, the money to buy them because there's no way I'd eat a dozen donuts. There's also an email from Dave that talks about Krispy Kreme coming into Calgary, opening up a couple of stores. And then there's another message uh, that comes in. Oh, where'd it go? I wanted to acknowledge who that was. One sec here. From Murray. Murray talks about how Krispy Kreme coming to Winnipeg. It's amazing. And this is so cool, right? That so many people have disconnected with Krispy Kreme donuts. And we thought they were going away. And it turns out, based on these emails from the gang here, that there might be more coming back. In fact, now that I say that, I want to make sure. Yeah, so there you go. There's another email. I just want to double check one more folder. Love your show. Say, hey, new Krispy Kreme stores are coming to Winnipeg. According apparently a new format that will also produce and distribute donuts to businesses around the city. And that's similar to the one for, for Calgary where they're talking about having um, having uh, like a factory manufacturing. So all of that. Thumbs up. Thank you for sharing your Krispy Kreme stories with us. <laughs> it's amazing. Hit the thing. Are you, are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? 877-399-9898. Clearly, you're okay with Krispy Kreme donuts. We've got more stories for you that we can dig into here that might make you ponder or Find out if they're coming and help us by literally giving us information to talk about. I always appreciate that one. Are you okay with twins? Twins tonight here on the shift is a twin. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois and his his bro Patrick. So, I've uh, never met a twin in my life. Maybe fraternal, but identical. Oh no, never mind. I grew up with. <laughs> <laughs> wow who'd you forget right i grew up with uh with uh well grew up i 
hung out with uh, some twins. Um, what are you? Are you laser pointing the Zoom call right now? <laughs> well, for you, for forgetting your friends, I'm trying to shine the laser in your eyeballs on our video. God, call. that is awful to look at. <laughs> You're burn I can the see pixels it in my Zoom face. camera. Well, that's. I'm trying to blind you. How could you forget your friends? I haven't spoken to them in a long time. They've been very successful, lawyer and and nurse. They've they've mm. done very well for themselves. They both have big brain. So there you go, oh, twin. Yeah. They did well. They did okay. They did They've great. done so well. You forgot about them. And I for completely forgot about them. Yep. Good. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, some twins. I, I don't know. There's There are some twins in our family, just not our direct family, mostly cousins and stuff. Mm. We didn't see that here, which is probably okay. I think that's all right. Uh, Patrick and Sylvain Charlebois, uh, three minutes apart, they told us here on the uh, on the show. Which, by the way, if uh, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, his commentary about food in Canada after that whole government come on to Ottawa, all of the grocery CEOs thing that happened last week, underneath all the India announcements, uh, gets the podcast. Now, uh, 3% of babies are twins. So the odds of this happening are, well, 3 in 100, actually. Quite extraordinary. Um, but still, this is, according to Ryan, guaranteed, or your money back, the cutest are you okay of 2023? Yeah. I always have someone to play with at home. Now I have somebody to play with at school. Because we're twins. If we would fight, then we wouldn't be in the same class. I have been a kindergarten teacher 20 years. Usually there's maybe a couple sets of twins. If that, are you ready to help me count everybody? And I was shocked to find out that there is not one, not two, not three but 17 sets of kindergarten twins across the Colonial School District this year. There's our magic number, all right. Oh, it makes me so excited because I have two of them in my room and they are the sweetest. My sister. Purple team, you have three more minutes. We've been calling it Twindergarten for fun. How's your coloring going? Good. Aw, Twindergarten. <laughs> Twindergarten, and the coloring's going good. It's cute. ABC6, the Colonial School District in Pennsylvania said seven pairs of twins are starting kindergarten at Ridge Park Elementary. Teachers across the school district say they are taking great care to treat each student as an individual while keeping in mind the special connection that twins share with their siblings. Do you believe That's in all. that? Do you believe twins have like an unnatural or like, a, like oh, a, some kind of connection that is unexplainable? I think if you and your brother Evan, although you're not twins, no. were basically like face-to-face holding each other for nine months <laughs> that's really weird actually that's yeah, really weird i mean i know where you're going but <laughs> i think you guys would be connected somehow too i mean you might be connected sharing the same psychologist after that i suppose but yeah i i believe in it i don't know i've the, I've, I've met very few twins in my life but even fraternal ones who mm -hmm. aren't identical say that there's kind of something there something it's neat yep. to watch the ones that finish sentences Yep. Videos of those. Catherine from Surrey says twin baby laughter is the best ever. I, I do agree. I think twin laughter. We learned that with the uh, Charlebois uh, brothers. They laugh the same. In fact, let's add that to a, a task list of grabbing a couple of, we got to find a couple of things. We got Patrick laughing. We're, we've got Sylvain laughing too. We, we're going to have to find that because they, um, they laugh the same. 
So we'll find that. That's cool. I, I agree, right? I think it's a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not overly mystical, generally speaking, but I think it's a thing. Okay, uh, for our next story here, uh, let's just start completely out of context. That's right, folks. Longtime owner Mr. Krabs is opening a new restaurant called The Krusty Krab 2. First of all, congratulations, Mr. Krabs. Hello. I like money. What inspired you to build a second Krusty Krab right next door to the original? Money. (laughs) (laughs) Are you okay with... Money. Money, money, money. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Who doesn't? uh, I made some money. I had a good, lucky day the other day. Opened up a pack of magic cards. Two $50 cards in it. Two $50 cards. How much does a pack of magic cards cost? 10 bucks. How many packs of magic cards do you think you've purchased in the last four weeks? In the last four weeks, maybe five or six. I did the map. I've paid them off twice, and I have enough. Uh, I took uh, $50 in credit for the store and then $50 cash, which I then used to buy groceries, which was awesome. So a little bit of nerd, a little bit of uh, proper adult spending. I felt good. Left brain, right brain. I love that. Uh, I love that. I love how you you immediately go to defending because you know what I'm going to say. I have to. I literally yeah. have to. Don't, I know this road. Don't, I've walked this road so many times, Shane. <laughs> when Shane asks how much something costs, you know what's coming next. All right. That's fun. Ryan likes it. He plays with his cards and sells them and stuff. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, can it, clearly, I don't understand what magic cards are. I imagine them as like a deck of cards where you're like, look at all the eights. I, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Winning the lottery though. Now that could change your life in a heartbeat. I would be too doubtful. I would be look at the ticket and look at the numbers and look at the ticket. Then I'd be like, look at the ticket. Is that the same as the numbers? And then I'd go to the store and I'd probably procrastinate for a day or two because I'd be like, I just don't want to find out. I'm so excited. I want to find out if it's not. I got it wrong. Then I wouldn't want to tell anybody, but then I'd probably tell one person. I'd be like, okay, you can't tell anybody, but I think I might have won the lottery. And then Ryan would be like, can I have 50 bucks to go buy some magic tickets? More like 50,000, but yep. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, changing your life lottery couple from Victoria, they nabbed a huge prize. Confetti always makes it better, doesn't it? Lawson Rizrazi and Debbie Ramsey presented with a check for $35 million. That's half of a $70 million jackpot from the June 6th Lotto Max draw, which they're splitting with a winner in Ontario. Debbie says when Lashin called to tell her, she thought she was getting punked. I didn't believe him. I thought he was she, playing a joke on me. She don't. So, yeah. She <laughs> say, prove that for prove me. It, I say, prove it. okay, I will take you to Calidri Food close to my our house. Okay. And uh, I take her inside and she checked the ticket. She tried four times. Four times. Wow. wow. She checked the tickets. She wants to as for other plans, Lawson says he's going back to work on Monday. Debbie is retiring. They plan to do a lot of traveling, including across Canada in a new Mercedes camper van where they'll show up at family homes and give away some of their money. <laughs> Hello, where do we submit the address, Frank? <laughs> yeah, just slip that through. Also, 
yeah, a uh, confetti does make it better, by the way. Uh, this yep. week, you can take home nearly double that, by the way. $68 million guaranteed giveaway. Someone's going to take it away. So if you want to get in on the uh, 649 gold ball, so $68 million bucks, I could go for that. That's for sure. And I would drive my Mercedes camper van around and probably give away money, too. Great idea. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.